Y'all want to take your song up and go ahead and get started and stand together and turn to 510. 510. 510. Whosoever meaneth me.
because there's times when I don't go and I could go. But, uh, you know, he, he goes where most of them wouldn't go. But anyway, I just want to thank you for I thank you for everybody showing love and, and kindness and making them feel welcome. They just uh, they, they had the time of their lives. And we just we had, took them out to eat a burger land from Paris on Monday before we left. You know, I heard that woman make such sounds, eating that burger land cheeseburger in that back seat. <laughs> she told us on the way down that she loved she loved the hamburger. I said, we're going to take it eat the best one there is. So anyway, we had a good time. And I, I hated to see them go. I really did. I shed some tears when they left. I, I just really enjoyed them so much. But uh, it's a blessing. And God bless me. I told them, I said, I always, I love to be a blessing get a blessing at the same time. That's what happened. Anyway, thank y'all for being so kind to him on Sunday. Is there any prayer questions? Uh, we need to remember Scott in prayer. We need to lift Scott up in prayer. Uh, he fell today in the bathroom, hurt his neck, they did MRI, they don't know what he's saying. He's, he's saying they keep cracking. And uh, that means back to vertebrae or, or what that means. It could be his clavicle. I don't have no idea at this point. Anyway, and prayer for him. Good report, not a bad. Uh, I know Dan needs prayer. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, we don't have to uh, wrap you in bubble wrap, brother. Get you, get you a bubble wrap. Uh, get you some bubble wrap coveralls. Something. Amen. Or somewhere or another.
All right, let's turn to number 507. 507. Come thou fount of every blessing. 507. Yeah. 
and uh, in need of Jesus. So please pray for them as they go through a horrible time. Take your Bible tonight. Turn to Proverbs with me. Proverbs chapter 17. We'll be in the last part of Proverbs tonight, chapter 17, our fourth part of this chapter. It worked out pretty good to break up into seven verses at a time. We're in the fourth part of that. Chapter 17. That's my favorite number, by the way. I was born on the 17th of August, in case y'all was wondering when my birthday was, so you could buy me something after my birthday. But no, my birthday's next next Thursday. Next Thursday, I'll be 55 years old. Amen. So I, I know. I, I, I be, I, I'm AARP ready now. <laughs> I get the senior breakfast discount and all that good stuff. I just don't eat breakfast. It don't matter. So I guess I can go early and eat supper and get the senior discount then. So. But anyway, it's good to be in church with you. Pray, pray for me. Amen. Getting older ain't no easier. Amen. Proverbs chapter 17. I know it ain't because I know y'all there too. We're all in the same boat. Most of us anyway. I know Richard and Mary ain't got there yet, but the rest of us are getting there. Hurry. All right. Proverbs chapter 20. I'm 20, 20. What am I talking about? 20. Proverbs chapter 17 tonight. Let me get let me get my. Let me just pause and get coordinated. I'm I'm all I'm all discombobulated. I'm talking about birthday and I got all discombobulated up here tonight. All right, I'm in the right place now. Proverbs 17. We're gonna begin with verse 22. But before we do, let's go to the Lord and pray. Let's ask God to meet with us. Let's ask for His presence. Our heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I thank you for loving me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Lord, I'm thankful that so many years ago in that bedroom at about 9 o'clock at night, Lord, I called upon your name. And I, I asked Jesus to save me and be my Savior, wash my sins away. And Lord, you saved me that night, and I've been, I've been your child ever since. And, Lord, although many times I've failed you, you've never failed me. Lord, I've trembled on the rock, but the rock never trembled under me. And I'm thankful. Tonight, as we come to the Word of God, I need you tonight like I've needed you every single time in the past. Lord, I can't do it without you, nor can I do anything without you. Lord, and I know that. So tonight, I put myself afresh in your hands, and I ask you to take my my heart, my mind, all that I am, and fill me with your spirit, control me, speak through me. Lord, I pray the same for your people, whether they be in the room with me or whether they be listening in some other way. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit of God would take take and reach into their being and stir them, stir their spirit up to hear the Word of God and make them aware and alert that they may receive the things of God, Lord, that it may sink in and may help them in the days to come. Lord, we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to see you, Tim. Amen. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 17 tonight where we're at. Proverbs 17, and we're going to begin there in verse 22 and read down through the end of the chapter. And we're going to, this is, I love this little verse. This is a good one. I've heard this one my whole life. This is, a, this is one that people tell you all the time. It, it says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Amen. But a broken spirit drieth the bones. You know, it, we, we've all heard, heard somebody say over the course of our life that laughter is the best medicine. And and I, I can tell you, that's, that's, that's true. God's Word ain't, ain't telling us stories. And, you know, when you're down, this thing you can do is, start, is find something to laugh at and cheer up. Because being down, that, I have never... 
been down. keep going downhill, go further. Unless you turn around, you're going to continue to go downhill. It's just, that's the way the grade works, amen? And, and again, when, when we get down, we need to we need to find a way to turn it around. And that's, and, you know, and that's what this proverb, that, that truth, that, that axiom, you know, laughter is the best medicine, is based on this proverb of the Bible. And it's true that a cheerful and a merry heart is good for more than your personality. It's good for your body. Amen. Your cells respond to laughter. Your cells in your body respond to to a, a good humor, uh, and they also respond to depression. And, and I can tell you that when somebody begins to get depressed, it is going to affect them in a very dramatic way. But before we get that, this is what this is what the Bible says about that merry heart. In, in chapter fifteen, two chapters ago, in verse thirteen, we read it said, "A merry heart." Maketh a cheerful countenance. And we don't use the word countenance a lot, but what does it mean? It means the presence that people feel when they get in your presence. They feel what you're feeling. If you're mad, it don't take but a second for somebody to figure out. You're mad. They can feel it from the way the, we say the vibes that you're giving off. You're giving off uh, hostile vibes or something. Or you're giving off cheerful vibes. I don't know what the vibes mean. That's some kind of some kind of something else, but I don't believe the vibes. I believe in what the Bible calls a countenance. And, and, and uh, Dr. Hugh Pyle wrote a, I think it was Dr. Hugh Pyle, I, I, I think it was him, wrote a book years ago I read called uh, Be Careful Your Countenance is Showing. Because it does. You can't hide from that. Your countenance is going to show to other people. And, and let me just say this. Not only will a merry heart do good for your own self, but it does good for others. When you get in the presence of somebody who's in a good mood, you get around them and he's laughing. And, 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 and I mean, let's just be honest. You, you get in the presence of somebody who's laughing hysterically, you don't even have to know what they're laughing about, and you'll start laughing too. I saw one of the funniest things I saw in a long time. I, I think it's over in France. They have a, they have a television show where they invite people into this into this. Uh, on this platform, and they set them, to, them together. But what they don't tell each other is that each one of them has a very odd, unique laugh. And so, there's one of them will get the laugh, and there's a big, they're laughing at each other in a corny way of laughing. And you know what? Ain't nobody in their friends. Nobody in their friends. They're all just laughing hysterically and having the best time and don't even know what. But I don't think God wants us to be constantly rolling around the floor like a bunch of idiots laughing all the time. And that's not what he's saying here. But he's saying it's a whole lot better to be cheerful than it is to be down. Amen? Romans 5, 2-5, it says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand, talking about Christ, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and not so only... But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And where was I going with that? I'm trying to figure out what, what, what. Did I miss something in that? <laughs> oh, we rejoice. That was it. It was there in verse 2. I passed right over it. It says we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. Listen, we need to rejoice. That's what we want to do. And we rejoice. What is rejoicing? 
Somebody tell me, what is rejoicing? What does that word mean to rejoice? Well, it's, 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 it actually has a definition to, to rejoice. What does it mean? Somebody help me. Come on. Thank you. You've heard me say that. It means to revisit your joy. Every time I go back in my mind to that bedroom in 
it's encased in all this fat muscle with this bony frame that we have in us. And, and it talks, the Bible talks about fat bones. Well, that just means healthy, healthy body. You have fat bones. Amen. Uh, I probably got fat bones. Amen. I feel like I feel like my bones are fat. The rest of me goes right along with it. But anyway, uh, Proverbs three eight talks about this stuff. It says it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. In other words, make your bones healthy. Proverbs fifteen thirty. The light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. It makes you feel healthy when you hear good news. It makes you feel good all over. In other words. Amen. Proverbs sixteen twenty four. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. So when you when things are good and you hear good news, it refreshes you and makes you feel good all over. Amen. I mean when you when you get when when you've been waiting on some good news. Report on somebody that you know You've been drawing a pack, hoping against hope everything works out right. Now you can relax. Now you can rejoice and release all that all that frustration and say, praise God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, and everything. Just gets a lot better, amen. But to have but you know dry bones on the opposite of fat bones, dry bones. They signify unhealthiness and lifelessness. We know about over in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel, he preached to them dry bones in the valley of the dry bones. In Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, I'm not going to read it tonight, but we know, we understand that they were dead and dry and lifeless. Amen? So again, when you read in the Bible, you read fat bones or healthy bones versus dry bones. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's picturing more than just that. And to have a broken, to have, but to have a broken spirit, listen, that, that's given due to the conviction of your sins, to be broken over your sins, or over a great burden that God has laid on you, those things are, are precious gifts, amen? To be convicted of your sins, you may say, well, that's terrible, such horrible conviction, well, praise God, God gave you conviction. That's a gift from God, to be convicted. God. Amen? And, and again, and, and to have a burden laid on you for somebody else, a great burden, it may weigh you down, but it's a blessing because God's using you, his hands upon you. You know, it's not a curse, but a blessing to be touched by Almighty God and to begin to see things from his perspective. But but here a broken spirit, it describes a gloomy spirit of discouragement that maybe always looks at the dark side of things. This is coming from a believer. It originates from a narrow and a warped view of the Christian life and from a false humility centered on the self and not on God. Think about what I just said. People feel like, hey, listen, when people, let me, let me, let me be clear as I can be. When you feel like you're, you're living the Christian life, it's about you then you're going to have a warped view of things. When you feel like you've got to do it, you have to, I have to, I have to do this for God, unless, uh, instead of God has to do this through me. That's the difference. And so many people there, so, and I, I 
weird. And I, in church after church after church after church, all across this country, there are people sitting on the pews who feel like they have to impress God. I've got to do enough that God notices me down here and God's pleased with me. And that is not the case. You must surrender your all to God and say, God, whatever you'll do with me, I'll be rejoiceful. And let God do what he wants to do through you rather than you trying to show out for God. And there are a lot of Baptist preachers, let me just say tonight, especially a bunch of fat cat independent Baptist preachers who will stand up and shame people because they're not doing enough. Let me tell you something. Whatever God wants you to do is what you need to do. It ain't what the preacher wants you to do. It's what God wants you to do. Amen? And every every independent fundamental Baptist preacher ought to have that kicked in the head behind and to understand Quit being a tyrant and bossing the people and trying to drive them. You have to lead them. Amen. You have to, it's not herding cats we're doing here. We're leading sheep. Amen. There's a whole different matter there than the way things usually go on. But again, I want to have a burden. I want God to lay it on me. I don't want I don't want some preacher to, to stand up there and tell me what my burden ought to be. I want God to, to lay it on me. Amen. I want God to show me somebody broken and needs me. Amen? I, I, I want him to show me a ministry that he wants me to fulfill. Yes, and if, he, if God leaves it on me, you know what? I go, if, if you go to the preacher, you know what? God's going to lay on the preacher too. And God will, God, will put the, God will give me the same. God will direct me with you and help me lead you. Amen? If it's God in it, he'll, he'll work the whole thing out. It won't be, a, it won't be an issue. Uh, but like I said, it's, most of the time, people get discouraged because they try to live for God in their flesh. And you can't do that. You won't be a success. It'll never happen. And so you'll end up getting discouraged. And, and, and when a person backslides, and it happens, it happens to church-going people. They back, You can backslide and the same pew every week. You can backslide and keep singing, singing the same songs and giving the same tithe. You can backslide and get cold as cold can be, sitting right there in the pew. And when a person backslides, They'll try to maintain the same level of joy in their appearance. They don't want anybody to know they're down. So we put on a false face and come to church. So nobody knows I got trouble in my life. They fake it. You know what that does for you? Rise you up on the inside. You know what the cure for that is? Go to that altar and lay it on all to God. Lay it down to God and let him have it. If everybody else sees you broken, they'll come to your help. They'll come to your aid. They'll get in there in the yoke with you, and if they don't, they ain't there to help you know how. Amen? But I'm going to tell you, don't, fakery don't ever do us any good. Amen? When it comes to whether we're faking for people or we're faking for God, it never works. Verse 23, i got to hurry. I don't get bogged down on this one verse. A wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. We're talking about a bride. Okay, we usually say behind the back. He had something behind his back. It's the idea of having reaching in and pulling something out of the bush. But it's the same thing. It's a bribe, nevertheless. So the wicked man, he, he accepts a bribe that's hidden in the man's garment. He takes a gift out of the bosom. And it's wrong to receive a bribe, which are illegal and unjust payments, to get around normal laws and procedures to buy favors for, from officials. People do it all the time in this country. And everywhere, all levels of government. Bribes, bribes, bribes. And what does it show about somebody? It shows that they're corrupt. It shows that they lack any character and integrity if they'll take bribes. And this proverb is describing an official that God has placed in a position of authority. Amen? Because God appoints authority. 
Amen. God placed them over over the community to protect the poor of the community, but instead of helping, this person slides those that they've been put in charge over and make themselves wealthy at the expense of people's deeper poverty. It's wicked as wicked can be. He sh- and, and he shows that he's conscious of his guilt by accepting the sneaky bribe, which is hidden from the public and hidden from criticism. Nobody sees it but them two and God, because he sees everything. Amen? So the wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. So when, when favor and a desired outcome is based upon bribe money and not fairness and not righteousness, well, justice is perverted. Things are all out of kilter in the way they should be. So... And when that happens, nobody can have confidence in, in the system of laws or the ways of justice. And that's not how God set things up. We know God is a, a God of just uh, of just measures and scales. God wants things done right. God is not for this perverse, uh, uh, good old boy, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of system of doing things. And it's sure, it's sure not in favor of this, this new world order system that's beginning to to uh, just spread its tentacles all across America, and people are people are having to change the way they've done things uh, the right way in favor of lining up with the global agenda, and it's happening. Again, uh, me and Mom sat in the, in the loan officer's uh, office the other day. I was talking to my banker, and he sat right there trying to use the proper pronouns. Church-going man. Baptist church-going man sitting there worried about using the proper pronouns and stuff. And I said, man, don't have to worry about that with me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got to get it. i got to keep that. i got to get that straight. I thought, oh, shit. Are you serious? Are you, re- you, you, you really are trying to, to kowtow to the UN? Because that's really what it is. It's the UN, and, 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 I, and I can't go off into this, or I've spent an hour and a half talking about what I just recently learned. But there is a, listen to me, there is a seven-year agreement that has just been signed about 15 days ago that will go into effect the day after the peace of trumpets. A seven-year peace accord, the day after the feast of trumpets. You know what that tells me? Better get living with Jesus. He could very well show up on that day. Let me tell you something. During the Feast of Trumpets, they have an hour during the Feast of Trumpets, which is referred to as the hour which no man. I learned that not too long ago. That would give you chills right there. But anyway, let's get back to this. i got to go. All right? So, like I said, when, when people take bribes and do bribes, you can't have confidence in, in the system of justice, but that's the kind of system of government that you and I have lived under our entire lives. It's always been corrupt, and America has been corrupt since 1913. But I ain't got time to go back and talk about that. Verse 24. Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. All right? Well, you know, the sense here seems to be that wisdom is the light and that the wise use that light to seek, and it makes everything else clearer and able to be understood. The wisdom is before him that hath understanding. He again, he, he has he he uses wisdom and it gives him understanding. Ecclesiastes eight one it says, Who is as the wise man and who knoweth 
the interpretation of a thing. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. John 7, 17, Jesus said, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God and whether I speak of myself. Amen? So a man who understands, wisdom has made him understand. It ain't He got it by himself. God is the one who gave him that wisdom. Again, Jesus said, if a, man, if a man will to do his will, he'll know the doctrine. In other words, God revealed his truth to a man who wants to do God's will. To a man who, who says to God, Lord, I want to know, I want to understand, I want to know, you've got to give that man wisdom. But the second half of the verse is the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. Of course, we know fool, fool and wisdom are not connected. The fool doesn't see things with the eyes of wisdom. It says their eyes are in the ends of the earth. That means they have their eyes everywhere except where they should be. They're looking everywhere but the truth. The fool. Adam Clark said wisdom is within the sight and reach of every man. But he who desires, but he whose desires are scattered abroad, who is always aiming at impossible things or is of an unsteady disposition, is not likely to find it. G. Campbell Morgan said the contrast here is between before him and the ends of the earth. So wisdom is before him, and he got his eyes in the ends of the earth. While it's a sure sign of weakness to see only the things that are near, so a person who only looks at, doesn't look long term, they only look at the short term, it's a sign of weakness. He said it's yet a sure sign, a sign of folly or foolishness to be forever looking at far off things to the neglect of those that are close at hand. But the eyes of the fool are in the ends of the earth. It's like a student in a classroom. Teacher's teaching, and they ain't paying attention to the teacher. They're looking all around the classroom at every little detail in the classroom. They ain't heard a word the teacher say. That's the way a fool ignores wisdom. When somebody's preaching the Bible, fool say, I won't hear that. Get that out of here. I don't want to listen to that. Turn that off the radio. I don't want to hear that preaching. Get that preaching off the TV. I don't want to hear that. And his eyes are roam anywhere else. His ears are anywhere else. Anything but that. His thoughts are scattered. He ain't got no plans. He ain't got no objectives. He ain't got no certain way of life. He just floats from day to day. And the cultivation of his mind to become something greater, his talent, and any improvement of his opportunities are all wasted away because he can't focus on the truth. Charles Bridges says this diversion is a great friend of the enemy. Our enemy's great object is to turn the mind away from what is immediate to what is indefinite, from what is plain and important to what is unsearchable, and from what is personal to what is irrelevant. Many trifles take the place of the one thing that is needful. In other words, fool, fool, fool just, he'll get caught up in anything but the truth. You can get him, you can pull him away into anything except the right thing. Verse 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. I mean, this is very similar to verse 21, which we looked at. Verse 21, it says... Uh, he that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. We read that one last week. It's very similar to that. Parents parents find their lives filled with great grief. 
over foolish character of the children. When you when you beget a fool, as the Bible says, you're gonna have hardship, hardship, hardship. And it and, and I'm I tell you, I, I have pretty good kids, but I but you know when I see one of them make a terrible choice, I just look, taught you better than that. I taught you you know better than that. But yet you're making these horrible decisions. And I know everybody in here got kids, and everybody in here has seen your kids make terrible decisions. And you said, why? You know you're raised right. You know we took you to church. You know we taught you better than this. Why? I'm sure Mama said those things when she signed me back a fool out of myself. It's a grief. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, Solomon said. All my work I did, I hated it, because I should leave it under the man that should be after me. I worked all my life to build this place up, make this all pretty, and I'm going to die in this boy, I'm going to take it, and he'll run it into the ground. I've heard that four times and I can't count. He's going to run it into the ground. He said, who knoweth whether it should be a wise man or a fool, yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise unto the sun. This is also vanity. I ain't worth nothing. All for nothing. That's what Solomon said. That's the way Daddy feels when he gave his life for his kid, and his kid just turned out to be a fool. It was all for nothing. That's the way it feels. And the Bible says in bitterness to her that bear him. Well, a mama's got maternal instincts. Mama will hang on, wish for the best, and hope for the best forever and ever and ever. And so she carries a special pain. And it's, it's, a, it's a special bitterness over the whole situation that belongs to the mother of a foolish son or daughter. You have greater hope for them than me. <clears throat> Bible says in Proverbs 10, verse 1, a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. There's a special bond between mothers and sons. There's a special bond between fathers and daughters. And it breaks your heart. I'm, I, I, I remember when my, one of my sisters was was wild, the pain that my daddy felt and grandparents felt. And, you know, again, I hope and pray my little girl turns out to serve God. I pray every day for that, and I do everything I can to make sure of that because I cannot imagine that precious little child turning out for the devil. I can't picture it. I don't want to. Amen. And I, and, and I thank God that my, that my boys right now, at least I can say, you know, none of them have gone off crazy into the world, but, you know, I don't know what the future holds. But I know what a pain that would be. And... uh now, God tells us very plain that it's just that way. Verse 26, also to punish the just is not good, nor to strike princes for equity. Uh, to punish the just is not good. Absolutely it's not. God, God's moral order insists that the righteous be rewarded and that the wicked be punished. That's the way God set it up. And to upset his order and reverse his order, that ain't good, amen? It's wickedness. But that's the current situation we live under in America. Christianity has fallen out of favor with this world. I hate to tell you, I don't know if you've noticed it, but people are not too keen on Christianity anymore. Matter of fact, they look at us as we got, we're the source of all the problems. Oh, the world is history and fall over Christianity, blah, 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 and all this, that, the other. They come up with anything they they can to try to to try to stop what God's doing. And to be be a Christian in this day and time is viewed as a negative thing. 
They talk about it on the talk shows. They talk about it on the news shows. And it's, it's not just in our country. It's all around the world. I'm telling you, we're living in days. The Bible says that it was in the, in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And I'm telling you right now, there's more evil today on this earth than I have ever imagined. We live in a day and time when, when in major cities, police departments stand back and let men walk down the street displaying their genitalia before children, parading and screaming, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. I'm telling you right now, hell has vomited some demons that are inhabiting some people. I heard Dr. Charles Lawson talk about this other night in a message. He said, I'm convinced, because the Bible talks about, in, in, you know, the, in, in, what I just quoted you, that verse about in the days of Noah. And, and why did God why did God destroy the earth? Well, listen, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't try to stop here and explain to you with the, the sons of God coming into the daughters of men, and there were giants in the land in that day. I can't explain to you how that equates to the day. But I can tell you there's some really fishy things going on in this world, strange things going on in this world. I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you this. Things are going to get weirder and weirder and weirder the closer we come to the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> and things are not going to get better for us, but that's okay. Jesus is coming. He's coming. The Bible said it's not It's not right to punish. Uh, to punish the just is not good, nor to strike princes for equity. Uh that, that that phrase is kind of odd, but it, it, to strike means to pow, to strike, to scourge, to whip, to strike princes or those in authority for equity. What is equity? Equity is value. So he's referring to, to punishing somebody for doing the right thing, punishing somebody for being good or fair or honest. If a leader is upright, that leader should never be punished for being a good leader especially by, by striking them or trying to hurt them. I mean, you know, but I think about the best president we've had in a long time, and what did they try to do to him? Nothing but destroy everything that he ever did. Uprightness should be rewarded. Uprightness should be honored. It shouldn't be punished. But in this modern age we live in, if a man or a woman rises to lead people in godliness, they're vilified. They are blind, they're, they're defamed. They're run down. Their, their character is defamed. If somebody seeks to tell the truth about something, listen, if they know that an unjust thing has happened in government, and listen, we live in a day and time, there's more. I mean, listen, it's in the news cycle. One big humongous thing happened, and then before anybody from the first place, they don't know about another big thing, and they don't forget about the last one, and we just don't one thing after another. People are killed, and nobody knows what happened. They just move on. If I ain't cocaine, the White House we just... But the other way, keep moving on. We don't, I mean, there's so many things. That's minor. But, I mean, they compared to what other things that go on. But, but listen, we, they just sweep it on the road and go to the next thing. But if somebody tries to stand up and say, hey, I know what happened. Let me tell you. You know what happens? They disappear. They take them out. I just feel like talking about it tonight. Listen, the Clintons have got a history of people dead behind them, a trail of people dead behind them for long. It's ridiculous. And not just them, there's plenty of them. There's plenty of those officials. Listen, if somebody stands up to, to tell, hey, I, we know that you were corrupt, we know that you did, they're gone. It's just like organized crime. I'm telling you, evil, and I mean, you say, what can I do with the gospel, preacher? Well, it's in the Word of God here, these things we're talking about. So, so when it's in the Word of God, I'm going to talk about it. <clears throat> you know, I mean, 
I, I had a good friend out in Amarillo. He was a natural, naturopath doctor, right? and he did a lot of good deals. A lot of people. He was curing cancer in some people. And then suddenly, mysteriously, he came down and said to took him out in about a week. He used to boast and say, hey, they ain't going to get me. I'm tough. He was a Marine. He used to show pictures of him with his big, his big machine gun back in Vietnam. You know, let him come try. Well, they came and did it. They took him out. And before him, they got his nurse. So, you know, and, and one by one, you see these people who have these cures. I mean, you, you, I mean, again, talking about this very thing, somebody who does good, somebody who tries to be a blessing. Like the guy who invented the, the engine that ran on water. You know what? He died suddenly. And a lot of people like it. A lot of things like that. Come up with great inventions to benefit, help mankind. They're gone. You know why? Because it, it messes up other people's ability to make billions and billions of dollars. That's why the cancer industry is so prominent in America. They know how to cure it, but they make too much money off of it. They can't fix it. Again, it's not right. It's not right to punish the judge. It's not right to hurt those that are innocent. It's not right to take down those that are doing good in authority. But yet they do it. It's not good. But God has a record. God has a record, amen? Everything is recorded. Ain't nothing done in the dark that won't be brought to the light. Ain't nothing spoken in secret. It won't be shouted from the rooftop. And I want to say tonight to the devil and everybody working for it, God's coming Amen? He's coming, amen? And there's a day of reckoning coming, and I'm going to tell you, I thank God I won't be standing in those shoes when they have to fall down before him at that great white throne judgment. Woo, I'm glad I ain't me. I'm glad I'm not going to be pitched in that lake of fire for all eternity. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Verse 27. Let's hear him get down to that. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding hath an excellent spirit. <clears throat> he that hath knowledge spareth his words. In other words, it's always good to know when to keep your mouth shut. Amen. Both wisdom and foolishness are revealed by your words. But wisdom may be revealed by the knowledge of when to keep your mouth shut. You show wisdom by knowing when to speak and when not to speak. We ought not ever think that the wise man or woman reveals their wisdom by just running on, talking and talking and talking, because that's not true. My daddy used to tell me, and my daddy said some good things, he said some bad things, but one of the good things he used to tell me is, boy, you talk too much. He used to tell me that, amen. Mama used to, but mama on the other hand would say, you don't be a lawyer when you grow up. <laughs> Mama's got a way of spinning it. Daddy said, boy, you run your head all the time. But uh, but he told me, he said, people get tired of you. You run your head all the time. You tell everything you know. He said, there's no mistake left to you. You've done told everything interesting about you, and there's nothing left. So people are bored with you. They don't want to listen to you no more. Keep your mouth shut sometimes. Amen. And I mean, you know what? He was right. I agree with him there. It keeps you interesting if you don't tell everything you know constantly. It keeps people wanting to come back and talk to you again, amen? So he that hath knowledge, spirit his words, amen? That, I mean, that's godly wisdom, too, amen? Not just earthly. That's godly wisdom, too. Uh, you know, again, there's nothing more embarrassing, I guess. I used to go to Bible conferences and things, you know, preachers meetings. They'd be all these preachers from all over the country and everything. And during the meal time, we'd always sit around the table. And ultimately, there'd be some young preacher that would sit down there, and he would want to try to talk about all the things that he knew. And you could just sit on them old preacher's faces. 
Joe Youngblood here won't try to won't try to seem like he knows more than everybody else. You know? That don't make nobody look wise. That just makes them look foolish. Amen. Try to impress everybody with everything you know all the time. Uh, pray for me. Amen. Because I don't want to be that way. The Bible says, though, a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. So the other side of this coin, somebody is nervous, just talking constantly, that ain't got nothing to say, versus somebody who has peace in their heart and contentment, and that comes to a wise person, peace and contentment. When you have God's wisdom in you, you're not anxious. When you've got the wisdom of God operating in you, there's a problem with God. And so that's described here as, a, as an excellent spirit or a calm spirit. To be constantly agitated and upset is a mark of foolishness, not somebody who has wisdom. So, again, it's best if we, if we meter our words out. And lastly, verse 28, and we're done. Verse 28, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed as a man of understanding. <clears throat> so this kind of continues that idea from the last one. And so there's a wonderful way that even a fool can be considered wise. He just stand there and keep his mouth shut. And everybody will think he's just as smart as everybody else in the room. Amen? Just keep your mouth shut. The Bible says he's counted wise. And, and this, this advice is not irony. It's, it's the fool, the fool who, who takes it is no longer a fool. Right? Again, if you receive this wisdom and say, hey, I, I think I'll keep my mouth shut. You're not a fool anymore because you've learned something. Amen? So praise God for that. Amen? Uh, he that shutteth his lips is esteemed as a man of understanding. So if the fool wants to be considered intelligent, this gives him the prescription to make it happen. Just learn to keep your mouth shut. Amen? I'll close with the words of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said it's better to keep your mouth shut and let them think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Amen? Let's stand together. Amen. <laughs> all right, let's stand together. And let's watch our words. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in God's house. See all of you tonight. Amen. Let's be mindful the Lord's coming soon. Let's make use of every opportunity God gives us. I feel really especially burdened that that we need to be that we need to be busy. Because I really feel that there is a very it's a very strong possibility that the Lord could return very soon. And I mentioned that seven year UN peace peace accord thing that they that they signed, and you have to factor in the fact that I heard that J.P. Morgan has has patented a biometric system that ties in with the digital currency that goes on the right hand of the forehead. Uh, the uh, Chinese and the Russians are working on their BRICS digital currency that's supposed to supplant the dollar. They have five nations working with them in the eastern part of the world. They have five nations now in the western part of the world. There's your ten-toed statue of Daniel. There's your ten kingdoms of the world. Now, the United States is not a part of it, which kind of goes along with what everybody has said, really not in prophecy. 
So what's about to happen? I don't know. But I can tell you this. If all things begin to go on and get unwound, you better start looking up. Because things are going to change. And they're liable to change soon. But you know what? Instead of panicking and worrying and wringing our hands together and chewing our fingernails, we need to be busy. We need to be telling people around us, those people you've been thinking about need to be saved for a long time. You better get to call them. Better go see them. Because you don't know. You don't know how much time we got left. Let's make the most of it. Amen? The Bible says redeeming the time, for the days are evil. So let's redeem the time. Let's make the most of the time and do what we can before it's too late. We go home, and all of this is all forgotten. Amen? Well, I say all forgotten, but it, we'll, 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 come to, we'll, we'll come to terms with what we did or didn't do. But amen, we'll leave this world of sin once and for all. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer God, and ask the Lord to take care of us as we go from here. Brother Byron, dismiss us in a word of prayer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.